0: This is The Way to Work with the ADECO Group Foundation on Monocle 24, a brand new programme putting the future of working life firmly in the spotlight. In the weeks and months ahead, we'll be talking about skilling and reskilling as we examine the digital revolution, discuss the ethics and fundamentals of the relationship between humans and technology, and consider how developments in artificial intelligence are reframing the debate. We'll also be asking where's the untapped talent that the global workforce needs? We'll explore the changing meaning of career transition. Lifelong learning will be in the frame too. We're going to find out what are the new models? How are they financed? How does the public versus private discussion evolve to deliver the very best outcomes for everyone? will be in Davos for the World Economic Forum, and later we'll be at the Adeco Group Foundation's own Future Series or FUSE event, a new movement for the future of work. And we'll wrap up the series by delivering answers to the questions that all businesses, entrepreneurs, employers, employees, frankly, everyone should be asking. Questions like What do I want from my work? How do I work? Run a team? Take part? Plan ahead to ensure best practice and a truly future proof organization, workplace and workforce. In this introductory episode, we'll be outlining the themes that define the space. We'll be hosting a very special roundtable discussion at Monocle HQ here in Seafeld in Zurich in just a moment. But first, let's set the scene. Julia Hobsbawm is Cass Business School's first Honorary Visiting Professor of Workplace Social Health. The role focuses on productivity, creativity and well-being in the workplace. Now we've already mentioned Fuse and we'll return to the topic in our roundtable. Fuse is a movement on the future of work to help with the fact that no single entity has all the answers to a challenge of this scale. It aims to shape how businesses and society navigate the changing face of work through conversation and collaboration globally purpose is critical in this space, as are, according to Julia Hobswalm, health and function. Julia, can you tell us why health and function are prerequisite factors to consider when looking at the future of work?
1: We absolutely must think more and more about work in the context of health or function, as opposed to dysfunction, if you like. Um, The reason is that uh, poor health and stress and low productivity are the bane of the entire working world, the length and breadth of the world. Um, so, for example, 15 million working days a year are lost in Britain to stress. The cost to the American economy of, of of days lost, working days lost, is about $300 um, billion. So work isn't healthy and work is not that happy. But what I think is, as important to bear in mind is that the world of work is just changing completely. I don't think in five years when Facebook will be 20 that the world of work will bear any relation really to what it is today. I don't think I'm overstating that. In fact, I think the conversation about what the future of work looks like is far more dramatic in a way than the future of Robotics, which everybody else has been concentrating on. And the reason is that the human has experienced work completely differently over the last um, hundred years to the next hundred years.
0: Are businesses, governments, I wonder Julia, inadequately prepared then for the the human aspects implicit in such questions about the world of work? Maybe they're focused almost to a fault on things like the digital realm and on artificial intelligence.
1: I do think that there are two very profound shifts happening around the world of work. One of them is the one around automation and robotics and so on and so forth. But I think the other is the way that the human retains their individuality, their identity and their place when the place of work itself is changed. And the reason why the area that I write about and talk about in relation to the world of work is, I call part of social health, connected behaviour in a digital age, is because I don't think the world of work is that healthy or that functional. So, for instance, half the world's... um, Uh, service workers, which is about a sixth of overall workers on the planet, will be freelance by 2030. So that really means the end of the office. And we've already seen the rise of of the, um, the virtual office or the, or the temporary office space. And so that has enormous impacts for community, for the way that you create colleagues and the way you build a career. And that impacts on your sense of stability and your sense of self. So I think that the world of work itself is going to face an enormous identity crisis, partly brought about by technology, but partly brought about by some of the old problems that have never been fixed, like, dare I say it, bad management.
0: Julia, does the process of lifelong learning go hand in hand with developing that sense of purpose you mentioned? And as a a corollary point, lifelong learning always sounds, frankly, pretty expensive. Is it perhaps prohibitively so?
1: I think one then has to say what's happening to education and higher education and further education and what's happening to skills and soft skills and apprenticeships rather than the old way in which the professional world of work was dominated by, which is sort of almost siloed qualifications, that you get more and more and more of of the same kind of qualifications, and therefore you move higher, higher up the food chain. Um, It's a much more lateral sense of what skill means. Although I would say that what some corporations and organisations mean by skills is how to keep pace with the technology, rather than how to invest in uh, cheaper soft skills, which is how do you sense... when Something's not working. How do you work with colleagues? How do you have the confidence to call out something that's problematic? So, um, the answer is partly uh, yes, there is a different sort of expense. There is an expense that makes it cheaper in the long run to retain talent rather than to endlessly recruit it, and therefore you've got to invest in it. It's partly a societal challenge, which is how do you Do you have a universal basic income, which lots of people are arguing is the best way to cope with large numbers of people not having jobs? Or do you have a different sort of tax system and a different kind of education system, all of which is up for grabs, all of which makes, again, this space around the workplace, I think, completely crucial. But in the end, it's the old stuff that matters, which is management, value making people feel that they, there is a point to what they're doing.
0: Julia, some of these challenges necessarily involve a role for government. What can we do about the perhaps inevitable short-termism that results from the nature of politics, of government, of administrations focused on perhaps understandably quick fixes? Is that a problem? Can one take a better, more... Nuanced and critically, perhaps a longer-term view in the private sector.
1: I think it's exactly the right question. I'm obsessed with not just time, but timeline and time frame. And in fact, I've I've written a, a book about um complexity and simplicity, arguing that we make things way too complicated. And one of the things I do believe we need to focus on is our use of time and and the way we value time, time um and distance. So, for instance, quite a lot of uh, values that come from Asia are much longer term. Some of the great powerhouses of of business in electronics and digital technologies have been built um, on values which are generation to generation rather than short-termism. I definitely think you're right to point out there is um, something unproductive about quarterly results and five-year cycles for chief executives. And I do think that culture may well make that change. Um, so yes, I think that time and time frame is, is critical. The point about government is again, what future are they investing in? Is it the future in the near sense or is it the future a la longue, which is what type of workers and humans and citizens do they want? Um, and and the answer is that there's a massive variability. Um, But on the other hand, there's a very interesting debate going around circles like the World Economic Forum in Davos, like the British Academy's Future of the Corporation project, which I'm a little bit involved in, which are asking these questions. And by corporation, we mean big business or big
0: institutional workplaces. Julia Hobsbawm and Davos, which Julia mentioned there, will be but one of the stops we'll be making on the programme. Another, of course, is FUSE, the ADECO Group Foundation's groundbreaking initiative focused on defining concrete action designed to challenge established thinking and shape the future of work. We'll have more about FUSE in just a moment. We continue the programme here in Zurich at Monocle's ever-busy bureau in Seafeld with a panel of very special guests. Around the table we have Cynthia Hansen, head of the ADECO Group Foundation and Social Innovation, and an articulate voice on how themes like a clarity of purpose, the delivery of real impact, and the pursuit of meaning are narratives that very much run through this space. Sharina Hatter is here to introduce the CEO for One Month programme. Liana Milchenko is Head of Thought Leadership and Fuse. And our final guest is Maji Cruz Blanco, who heads an initiative run outside the foundation, the Athlete Career Program, created in partnership with the International Olympic and Paralympic Committees. Cynthia Hansen, perhaps I can come to you first. Can you talk a little about the way to work? How does the work that you and your colleagues do here in the foundation address this critically important theme?
2: So, when we set up the Deco Group Foundation, we were really interested in creating a neutral platform where we could bring people together to talk about the future of work and to really pick apart what are the key issues that are facing everybody, as you said, from you know the large business owner, the small business owner, the government official, the individual, everyone is talking about how we work and why we work is going to fundamentally change. But nobody's got the crystal ball. Nobody knows what this is going to be. So we're very interested in looking at some of the models that we've got internally to see how those resonate in that broader context. So things like how young people prepare to go into the workforce, how people prepare to make a transition from one part of the workforce to another, and what it means in terms of the kinds of skills you need how you're going to adapt yourself to a new working environment and we're really interested in just opening up that conversation and bringing in all these diverse voices to look for not only the trends but also the solutions that will help people to navigate that world of work.
0: And I think, you know, it's no surprise to listeners that at Monaco we're very solutions driven, we're very optimistic, so we want to be trying to provide a bit of a, a primer, something that people can address quite quite proactively. Um Shireen, let me come to you. We're going to talk a bit more about CEO for one month in just a moment. But it strikes me as interesting. I was talking to Julia Hobsbawm for this program earlier this week about um, the future of work. And she kept coming back to this word purpose. Mm. Uh, and I know that's something that you're you're very interested in. You're, you're passionate about provide looking at how we can provide purpose for people, meaning in the work they, they do. Does that principle run through and underline actually a, a lot of what you do?
3: I think so. I mean, it also underlies the foundation itself, right? The purpose of you know why people are actually going to work and um, the things that they want to achieve when they're there. And I think for us, especially with young people, you know, you look at the Gen Z, you look at millennials um, and purpose probably is that number one thing that they look for. When they're going into the job market, they're like, you know, where can I find it's no longer enough to just say that I want to be able to go to work to be able to earn a good salary. Salary is important. But the idea of being socially conscious and having a reason for waking up and going to work, that is incredibly important um, for young people today as it is for you know anyone else that's going to work. But I think it's just become a lot more relevant and more conscious for young people to actually address that as they're looking for where to go next.
0: And I think that there's a real emphasis, isn't there, on innovative ways of addressing these problems, on looking at, for example, non-traditional routes of recruitment. Um, Is it a necessary quality that you bring to your work and and all that the foundation does to to try and, you know, think outside the box, look for alternatives, to be innovative? That's another seam that runs through all of these narratives, isn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's kind of fun working at the foundation as well, is that it is such an innovative place, right? We are trying out new things and um, we have gratefully been given the space to really trial and error quite a number of things as well. Um, And I think, you know, we are also looking at more and more bringing in the thought of design thinking into how we're doing things and how are we then bringing in not just from the top down solutions or ideas, but from the bottom up as well. So really engaging, at least at least for CEO for one month engaging with young people to understand, all right? Well, what kinds of what are the things that you think you need in order to be able to go to work or what do you think is going to be important at work in the future and how can we help address that and subs- you know, subsequently creating the program to be able to help address some of those issues.
0: Well, you mentioned uh, new challenges and imagine uh, if I can bring you in here because what you look at in particular is something that's really, really compelling, and that's new challenges to people, not at the beginning of their working lives, in many cases, or how people may pejoratively view it, at the end of their careers, by which we're talking about athletes, sportsmen and women, who, by traditional reckoning, have sort of ended one one cycle, but it's very much just the beginning, potentially. Tell us a little bit about the athletes program and why this is so compelling from your point of view.
4: Yes, indeed. Um, I mean, with the athlete program, we actually look into a transformational journey uh, for the athletes. So they've basically been in one part of the of the market, of the labor market, and they need to jump into a broader labor market. So the way we see it is that beyond their own athlete identity, how can we help them in that journey? How can we accompany them in that journey? But that journey, similarly, is very transformational for companies because they need to understand this hidden talent pool and they need to understand also how can they be athlete ready so the whole program basically comes from that talent pool that athletes are to jump into the labor market but also how can we get the labor market ready for them and to also harness that amazing talent they bring in
0: and Cynthia I think that's really interesting isn't it this is very much a a two-way street you can't just look at the worker of the future you need to look at the employer of the future I imagine that's one of the really profound sort of logistical challenges almost in in terms of the questions that the foundation is trying to pose is how to ensure that you are addressing the concerns the needs of all of these different stakeholders is it is it an overwhelming problem it's kind of thing I sort of think oh I'm glad I don't have Cynthia's in tray um how do you how do you ensure that you're tackling that uh from day to day
2: So we've structured ourselves really as a social innovation lab, and we only tackle these big thorny issues that nobody can do on their own. So not a single company, a single country, a government, or a social body. We just look for those things that are going to require that multi-stakeholder approach, that you have to have all the right people in the room, which, of course, is a challenge. But if we have that in mind from the beginning, then we design in the ability to engage those stakeholders, have the right people at the table, get the most brilliant minds and the innovative ideas, and then they feed off each other. So when we put together the social innovation projects or when we run the programs, we're always looking at that multi-stakeholder approach. And then it's not daunting, it's actually an asset for us.
0: Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of the themes that are going to run through this season of programmes and we'll talk a bit more in a minute about some of the places we're going to go, the people we're going to meet along the way. Um, It's interesting that there's very much an emphasis on the the life of the worker, lifelong learning and this is a narrative that's changing constantly and I guess this speaks to a little bit of what the the athletes programme doesn't it, this idea that you don't complete your education then go to the world of work and there's a full stop there it has to be a lifelong journey. I think this is the very word you used. Um, is there still a challenge convincing people of that or making them realise that that is a fundamental part of the, the future of work, is that it is going to be a journey that's necessarily lifelong?
4: Absolutely. I mean, if you look for, for to the athlete perspective, they start a career, which is being a gymnastic, being a footballer, um, being a basketball player. And that is the start of the learning process, the start of, you know, gaining key attributes that will help them in the labor market. At the same time, they're also learning, perhaps, uh, new hard skills they are going through university but as we see in today's world uh, careers are not straight line they actually go in in different directions so as an athlete you go from being an athlete uh, to then become maybe a data analyst to maybe become an engineer but at the same time that might not be actually your end point you may become a CEO of a company that is completely different from that uh, field or industry that you started mm. so we have to see actually that the development of career development in in different aspects and in different ways and different possibilities and, and options and that's what we try to portray when we work with athletes and w- when we work with other hidden talent pools within the foundation
0: uh, well you mentioned the CEO of the future um, let's come back um, Shireen, to the, mm-hmm. the to tomorrow's CEO program I wonder I perhaps fell into the obvious trap of thinking wow, what an incredible learning opportunity for these young people um, to study, you know, to, to refine skills that could make them the, the C-suite leaders of tomorrow. But again, this is another two-way street. There's a great deal of uh, learning that the current C-suite can do from these incredibly, you know, prodigious, uh, very capable young people. Um, have you been, perhaps you've not been surprised by it, but, does it surprise some people how much there can be almost this process of reverse mentorship? I know it's something that uh, Alan, the CEO of Adeco, is fascinated by. Um, tell me a bit about that process. Oh,
3: completely. <laughs> There's a complete surprise there. First of all, on the CEO, for one, on the CEO, you know, candidate side, the young person side, the first question they ask is, "Is it really? am I really following the CEO the entire time, first of all? And when we tell them, yes, you will literally be hip to hip with him, you know, you will be there with them the entire time for one month. And then I ask the same thing to the CEOs as well. I ask them, you know, what do you get out of this? Because you've got somebody stuck to your hip the entire time. Um, and a lot of them... We'll say, and mind you, we've got, you know, forty-six to forty-seven CEOs of the Adeco group actually taking this on and having that one person with them. And for them it is a couple of things. One, it's a fresh perspective. It keeps them in touch with what young people are actually coming through and it keeps them in touch with what the future of the organization could look like by getting those opinions and thoughts coming in, right? It gives them a chance to also look at some of the blind spots that they have missed after being in an organization for that long and having been through that process over and over again. Just to have that new fresh set of eyes um, and someone who is usually willing to challenge the CEO as well a little bit. That's the interesting part, right? Um, These young people aren't afraid to be able to say something to the CEO about the way they're using their time or the way things are going and to say, like, you know, somebody might not tell you this, but I've got nothing to lose. I'll tell you this (laughs) as well. And that's kind of a fresh take for the CEO um, themselves.
0: Uh, and I think there's something in there about a little bit of fearlessness, a measure of being, how can we say, quietly provocative, I think, which yeah. will chime, I think, with our listeners and, and, and readers of Monocle down, down <laughs> the years. Um, Cynthia and Leona, maybe I can bring you both in here to just put this in the broader, broader context a bit for us. Um, and obviously, we're building up through the season. We're going to also be heading to uh, Fuse, which is an incredibly exciting event. Tell us a bit about I guess the, the origin story of that event and how that speaks to some of these big themes that we've just touched upon very briefly.
5: Yes, I guess it it uh, brings us back to the earlier point about us um, leading the dialogue, the global dialogue around the future of work. We know that the space of uh, work is changing. We know that uh, it's disrupted. We know that um, all the workforce solutions are being disrupted and going through a lot of innovation right now. Um, we, but we don't know all the uh, solutions, right? Um, and we are not trying to say that we know them. Uh, but rather, we, we, we lead the global dialogue around the future of work. And FUSE, uh, which is a future series on the future of work, um, is one of the highlights, the events, the gatherings around that agenda. And uh, in that process, we mainly focus around uh, three key uh, themes and big areas. We know that we cannot cover the whole world, uh, but we focus on issues which we believe are critical for the future of work. And those are, of course, um, uh, unlocking the hidden pools of talent, which is very important, um, workforce investment, and skilling and upskilling and reskilling, which are our top priorities. So back to the
2: genesis of Fuse, when we first had this idea just about a year ago, we did a quick survey of what was out there, and there were over 30 individual conferences on the future of work. But for the most part, they weren't being done by experts. They weren't being hosted in a meaningful way. They spent most of their time framing and reframing the topic, and no one was actually focusing on real solutions. So the the space that we've carved out is really about providing a place to bring together the top thinkers and decision makers to focus in on creating real solutions uh, that can then be prototyped and tested with the idea that it's an ongoing dialogue, it's a an ongoing living community where people can come up with these interesting new ideas, go away, test them in their own context, come back to the platform, share it, everyone learns, and then you figure out which of those options might actually stick. And ultimately, if we focus in on those concrete solutions, we're changing the way people think, the way they behave, changing the norms and the behaviors, and all of that influences the way we work in the future.
4: One of the, the, the biggest work that we're doing now uh, with the athlete program and I think in general is really getting, uh, getting companies to understand the kind of talents they are getting, you know, the kind of talent they could tap in. And I, I like to then pick up from what Jana said, you know, the, the world is becoming disruptive and disruptive disruption is actually something positive. And understanding that um, uh, from the company perspective is really important and that's, for example, one of the key attributes that we see in athletes. Uh, they come in and they challenge the status quo in the sport ecosystem, something that they can definitely do also within the companies they work for and give them a competitive advantage, which could be great for, for, for the companies that onboard them. But like you said, it could be sometimes a, a, a big task to then do all that part of education, people understanding what what is. Uh, hidden talents bring in and how can we help them, onboard them and get them ready. So I think from from the athlete perspective, it really helped me to give, to have that big picture of the key attributes athletes bring in and how can we help companies to get them ready for them and then run uh, and be successful.
0: Is there an issue that, there's the kind of popular narrative that people often follow around the digital transformation of economies and AI and the impact that will have on, on workplaces Clearly, that's of critical import. But do we sometimes neglect the the human, the human questions here? Some nodding around the table. Um, it's perhaps understandable why that happens, but it is a problem. We need to remember that these are human questions that require human solutions, presumably.
5: Exactly and indeed, in the context of um, robotization and digitalization that we live in right now, we hear a lot of uh, negative stories and scenarios and we see a lot of anxiety. Uh, people are worried and scared that they will be fired, that there are you know huge unemployment rates that robots are going to take over our world <laughs> and so on and so forth. Um, and I think this is this is a very dangerous path and what we try to do is that we try to, Uh, tell a positive story and also to make sure that we understand that we need a a fundamental shift in paradigms the way that we see our future and we need to change our mindsets about how we perceive and how we want to make that future work for everyone right so it's not about those you know going down the rabbit holes of those negative scenarios how do we protect ourselves from all the negative sides that we constantly you know are fed with um, in our daily lives but how do we create that future that we want to live in together and we know that there are many solutions out there and we are surfacing them through our global dialogue on the future of work and through fuse and we want to make sure that they're available for the rest of the world
0: that's a really interesting point and it prompts me to ask perhaps another question is there a danger sometimes we get confused about the journey we're on and the actual end game imagine um, for example if we look at i don't know even say gender equality in the workplace it's often presented as the end, but actually, it should only be—it must only be—a means to doing better business, better outcomes, better economies. Um, is it a frustration sometimes that perhaps you need to remind people of that?
4: Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a very good point, and and we always look at, for example, the topic of gender equality as you know, just filling in the gap and bringing more women in and maybe uh, you know getting some quarters in. And I think that that's exactly. Um, the wrong approach the approach should be this is good for everyone this is good for business this is good for social development and that way we could advance gender equality we could bring more uh, a diverse workforce we could be more inclusive and I mean if you look uh, for example within the sport industry and in the athlete world have been a huge transformation it's one of the I would say one of the biggest movements of our time is, is actually bringing young people to lead in the sport industry is actually bringing more women to lead in sports, and just actually bringing people from different backgrounds to lead in sports, and that also includes athletes. Um, If you talk to athletes in general, one of the biggest challenges they have is actually to work in the sport industry, which is very ironic, right? And um, if you look at the top 500, um, uh, Fortune 500 companies, 94% of the women at the top actually have athlete backgrounds, but they left sports. So I think Mm. we have, again, there has to be also paradigm shift when it comes to the whole diversity and inclusion, gender equality, but also within sports to harness that athlete talent. We work a lot with the corporate world and the corporate world said, amazing talent, we want more athletes coming in, help us to be ready for them. But also in the sport industry, that transformation has to happen and that paradigm shift to go beyond, um, you know, saying we got more, we we want to get more women, we want to get uh, more a diverse workforce, but why? Because it's good for business, it's good for social development, but also I think uh, from the athlete perspective it would be fantastic to give back to that environment as well.
0: Cynthia Hansen, perhaps a last word to you, and let's try and go full circle. We began our discussions today by talking about the origin story of the ADECO Group Foundation almost. Let's look to the future and consider what you're most excited about in terms of the journey that this show is going to take listeners on. What do you find perhaps most compelling?
2: So one of the things that really excites me is the idea that social good and social impact can sit really side by side with economic prosperity, with good business, that as we find... The the newer generations coming up, they're expecting that these don't sit separately, that they're actually two sides of the same coin. And that as young people in particular choose companies they want to work with, companies they want to stay with, they're looking for purpose. They're looking for impact. They're looking for meaning. And so if we can basically demonstrate the good marriage of those two things, then we start to create those ripple effects and the change in the behaviors across society, across the business community. And this is where we get really that sticking power.
0: Cynthia Hansen, thank you. Talking about purpose, impact, meaning we do indeed come back to where we started. Huge thanks to Cynthia and to all of our panellists here in Zurich, to Sharina and Meiji and Liana, and of course to Julia Hobsbawm in London. You can chart the course set by our brilliant panellists as we undertake the journey on the way to work in the coming months. Keep up to speed and find new episodes at monocle.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And find out more anytime about the work of the ADECO Group Foundation. Visit adecogroupfoundation.org. And you can visit futureseriesfuse.com right now for more about Fuse. That's all for this first edition of The Way to Work. I'm Tom Edwards. Thank you very much for tuning in.